welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and today we're talking all things leveling up, the North, devolution, what have you, because I'm joined by Labour's Jim McMahon, who has been appointed as Labour's Northern Powerhouse spokesman. Now, this is obviously a shadow position. Jim's already shadow transport secretary. So we're looking at shadowing exactly Grant Shapps in the cabinet. And um, I'm really pleased that you can join me. But Jim, thank you so much for joining us. We're really, really excited to have you on Pod's Own Country. And you've got a new role, haven't you? Can you can you tell us all about it? Yes, I've been in, uh, enjoying my role as uh, the shadow transport secretary. Uh, and of course, yes. the, gov- the government include in their uh, front bench brief the kind of northern powerhouse uh, agenda. So obviously, we're mirroring that in terms of our regional focus. But of course, uh, we recognise it goes beyond transport. It's about whether the foundations of our regional economies uh, are strong. And of course, we know there are big issues there. But also, just how we're going to respond in terms of COVID and the impact on our regions to make sure that mm. actually the pre-existing issues that were there before COVID, in terms of the need to level up, uh, as a government would say, uh, really do receive the investment that the government promised. Yeah, I mean, there's loads to unpack there, actually, because I was really interested earlier on in the year when um, when Jake Berry stopped being the government's Northern Powerhouse Minister and Grant Shapps took over the role, as you mentioned there. He's also obviously Transport Secretary, but you've said quite rightly it goes far beyond transport. Do you... I guess from your side of things, from the other side of the fence, do you think the government has put enough interest? I suppose, or is is it? Is it what what do you make of that, that not being kind of a standalone role anymore? And I understand that might be a bit difficult for you, considering yours isn't a standalone role either. But do you think there's enough bandwidth there to tackle the issues? Well, I think what's positive is that the government themselves recognise that actually our mm-hmm. country is so unequal. Uh, that people feel that and they notice it and they're angry about it Uh, Mm -hmm. and so they have to do something about it and what we're keen to do is to make sure that it goes beyond slogans you know heard about the Northern Powerhouse and Midlands Engine uh, and I'm sure others will follow Uh, what we really care about is how people feel in the places where they live when they walk down the Mm -hmm. high street do they see the roller shutters down and boards on the windows or do, do they see a place that's thriving that's got a positive future you know, when they think about their local community and the facilities that are there, have they got a pub? Have they got a post office? Have they got a local bank? Uh, does the bus turn up on time? Can they get the kids into the local school uh, of their choice? Do they have to wait too long to see a GP? You know, as much as we talk about the big ticket transport items, and of course, I've got an interest as a shallow tran- uh, <laughs> transport secretary in that, what really matters to people is the places where they live. And I think we need to meet people there and we need to help them to grow those local economies so they can thrive together as a community. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because uh, do you, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a funny old kind of job because you're quite right. It's so, so important. It's so important to, you know, us at the Yorkshire Post. How important is it to Labour? Well, I mean, I spent 13 years as a councillor and being a councillor, being a council leader, and then obviously I served on the Greater Manchester Combined Authority, so we signed the first mm. uh, devolution deal in England. Uh, well, you're proper front line as a local councillor, aren't you? But but but, it, but it's that you understand the power of place and how interconnected a place is. You know, you don't talk about yeah. public services in a place in a very siloed way that often in government you do. And I think it's mm. really important that when we talk about how a place works uh, and how it can build forward, uh, which I think obviously is the 
the agenda that we're trying to uh, support, it's really important that we that we, we see it through the eyes of the people who live in communities. Because if we don't do that, we'll just kind of simply move power from one set of powerful people to another set of powerful people. But actually, the people who have always felt they've had no power, no agency, that the voices aren't listened to, still continue to feel that way. And for me, that would just be a failure. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like Labour, Labour from Bedge, probably Keir Starmer as well, recognises the importance of addressing kind of issues that are affecting the regions. Is that is that the case? Yeah, but, but even if you take away the regional inequalities, which are stark, yeah. you know, the very fact that London gets seven times the transport investment uh, compared to Yorkshire and the Humber is one part of it, you know, over £3,000 in London compared to £500 uh, where, where you are just isn't right. And that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why you're not seeing the same economic response uh, in your region as they do in the capital. You know, so the, we do recognise actually cash investment is important, but we also understand that actually our politics is in crisis, to be honest that many people don't believe that politics can make a difference. People don't believe that politicians uh, are always acting in the interest of the wider public. Uh, And until we really address the issues that matter to people in their everyday lives, uh, then we are not going to convince people that we get it uh, and that we have the solutions to put their places right. And and I say that as somebody who represents Oldham, uh, a town uh, that I care passionately about and I want it to thrive. But it's, it cannot come from a point of such weak foundations where the government continue to take money from our community. You know, the very fact that our local authorities have been devastated after a decade of cuts means that actually our public services are not currently in a fit state to respond uh, to the challenge that might come. And there's a real danger. You know, obviously we're in kind of COVID uh, territory at the moment, that if we experience a second spike, uh, and there's a real danger that we will, we could turn a recession into a depression. And we know that the towns that will feel that most are the towns that have always been at the back of the queue when times are good and the front of the queue when times are bad. And it's just not good enough. No, you're right. You're right. And it's I was speaking to um, Kersama last week, actually, and he made the point, and I think this is what part of what you're saying here as well, is that the only way that Labour is going to kind of, you know, win, come back from the, the election defeat in December and over the past few years is actually by connecting with those communities as well and making sure those foundations are built. It's kind of at the core of what the party is about, right? We we understand we have got a challenge facing us politically. Uh, We are the party that was born as a party of working people. And it's not acceptable that so many working people don't think that we are that party. And so we have got a big piece of work to do to rebuild trust, uh, not just in terms of promises, but in terms of how we operate. So Kia is really clear on this. He expects all of us to get out of Westminster uh, and speak to people in the communities where they live. And the idea isn't just that we go and listen and then we just kind of go back to Westminster as if the conversation never happened, but that working people get to drive uh, Labour's policy agenda and working people get to realise that if there's a Labour government, that the power just won't be held by a Labour government, that power will be held by them in their communities. Yeah, that sounds a bit like devolution to me. Is that a, is that a devolution hint? I think providing that devolution has got localism running through it, then absolutely, because there is no doubt that in order to get power out of Whitehall uh, and into our regions and our sub-regions, our local authorities, none of that will pass a test of giving power to everyday people if it's held uh, in either town halls or city halls or by mayors. So what we see is a localism agenda, but we do see the value 
of having you know properly resourced local authorities with councillors acting as community conveners bringing people together we do see the power uh, of mayors and we see already that mayors are making a difference you know dan jarvis uh, and the way that he's really advocating uh, for your region more broadly actually than his kind of very tight geographical remit in that sense but he's doing that because he's <laughs> he's filling that leadership role uh, that i think the region was crying out for so you know we, we should not force ourselves into a position where one is good and one is bad you actually uh, and the national government has a really important role to play uh, our regions have a really important role to play our metro mayors have an important role to play but the test must always be do people feel they have more power in the places where they live or not mm-hmm. yeah absolutely now we've spoken there about oh a lot of things we've covered a lot of ground in the kind of transport the power of kind of councils and local local government we've spoken about devolution what other big ticket items are going to be in your in-tray in this in this new role well obviously there's some time uh, before we get to 2024 and the next general election uh, and we need to make sure that in that period of course that we co-produce uh, what the right investment plan is uh, for the whole country uh, and our region mm-hmm. community will be kind of central to that but also to be honest making sure that the government actually deliver uh, on what they say they will do you know there's been many promises made there's been many promises actually repeated uh, a number of times before we see them yeah, anywhere near yeah. delivered and it's really important that we hold the government to account on that i think we also need to see a uh, a bringing forward of capital projects so if we think about the kind of economic challenge that covid would bring um the best way to recover our economy and get back on an even keel is to bring forward investment to kickstart that recovery and we know that there are shovel-ready schemes uh, in Yorkshire and the Humber that are ready to go now that the government can bring forward. We also know, by the way, the importance of North uh, connectivity more broadly. You know, so Northern Powerhouse Rail, why wait uh, when everybody agrees that it's the right thing to do? Those construction yeah. jobs uh, in developing it will create jobs that will kickstart our economy. And then we've got a skills agenda that can follow to make sure that decent jobs are secured in the future. Well, don't wait for it. Yeah. Get cracking because the economy needs it. Yeah, and I'm glad you spoke about coronavirus there because I, you know, it's on everyone's lips and you don't, well, you hope it's not on everyone's lips, but you know what I mean. Um, And you don't want to centre it in every conversation that you have at the moment, but it is a key concern for Yorkshire, especially other places in the north, because we're seeing those infection rates there higher than other places in the country. And it's, it's the same story, isn't it, over and over that, you see that maybe these areas don't get the investment or the support that they need. What do you think is going to be, I suppose, key in rebuilding in the north after coronavirus? Is it things like those shovel-ready schemes you're talking about, or can there be new innovation as well that can pull us out of that? Well, I mean, I suppose I'd kind of break it into three areas, really. One is about uh, protection. The second one's recovery. And the third one is rebuild. And so the protection phase of where we are now is making sure that uh, you know, people aren't losing their jobs left, right and centre because the government isn't doing enough to make sure that businesses can survive. And so they can do far more to make sure that key industries are supported to make sure that when COVID hopefully uh, is dealt with and we can move on, that those jobs are still in place to help our economic recovery and help people to, to stay in work. But we also know, to be honest, if you look at the occupations that are most affected by COVID, they are the frontline occupations quite often where people have no choice but to turn up to work because the choice really... Yeah, they can't work from home, yeah. Well, 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 it's not just about whether they can remotely work. It's about if they don't Mm. go to work, 
that quite often the security of their employment means they're choosing between putting food on the table or keeping themselves or their family safe. You know, and, and, and that's got to be some component into why our regions have seen uh, the levels uh, of fatalities through COVID in those occupations. And we need to learn that. I think the fundamental thing for me, we should learn what happened after the financial crash because we were promised that those with the biggest shoulders would take the burden, that the banks who led us into the crisis would pay uh, for the recovery. And it just never happened. What happened was that everyday working people took the brunt of that and actually still do. If you look at personal debt levels today, they're higher today than even before the financial crisis because people can't afford to cover the cost of living and the everyday bills that come in with the money that they can earn through work. You know, there's mm-hmm. a national crisis in this country uh, where the you know the British contract has been broken. You know, the idea that if you go out to work or you roll your sleeves up and you make that contribution that you can afford to live a decent life you know, a fair day's work for a fair day's pay for many people is a contract that's been broken. Yeah, you're quite right. And it's interesting that you mentioned there these jobs that are insecure. You know, I obviously said about working from home, but you're quite right. It's jobs that are insecure and people can't not go to. I spoke to a gentleman, um, cool, it feels like ages ago right now, but right at the start of the crisis, and he works for one of the fast fashion retailers who have a warehouse in Yorkshire. And he was so, so scared to go to work. It was before there was any social distancing in place. And he said, you know, I'm a, I, I'm on a low wage. And if I don't go in, they'll just get someone else in. And I need to feed my family. But I'm so scared of going into work because I could bring it home to my wife who's vulnerable. And that's exactly the position you're talking about, isn't it? It's those jobs where people don't feel like they've got the protection. They don't feel secure. It's really scary for people at the moment. I think it was also, and that does come down to this... Um... I don't like to use the phrase, but they're kind of taking back control. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. The question really is, do people feel they have power over their lives? Do they have choice? Uh, and as much as we talk about power in a political sense, you know, do you devolve? Uh, do you kind of support localism, etc.? Actually, for many people, their everyday life means that they don't have power in the workplace. And I, I do think we need to look at power in the broadest sense. And don't just believe that it's always in the government's uh, kind of gift to give that power away. You know, so whether it's about Mm -hmm. power in the workplace, whether it's about kind of power over your personal uh, data, you know, there's wide areas where I think we need to look at as part of our preparation for the future. That's really interesting. And one of the concerns I've had expressed to me is that, you know, we're seeing all this money spent by the government on the coronavirus response, which is needed and correct. But one of the fears that I've heard is that all this money that's been pledged for levelling up, we use that, well, the government uses that term, don't they? Maybe now won't materialise after this. Is that a fear you share? It is, yeah. I'm I'm very concerned about who pays the bill of the COVID response and how we free Mm. resources to deal with the economic response that's going to be required to rebuild uh, our our economy. And I think there's a real danger that as much as we are saying we should not repeat the mistakes of 2007, 2008 onwards in terms of uh, the kind of austerity agenda that the Tories uh, brought in at that time, I've got a real fear that that'll be exactly what happens. Uh, and, you know, we, we have not got over that, the devastation of 10 years uh, of cuts to public services. You know, actually, when we talk about public services as if they're kind of somehow disconnected, it's something else. Mm-hmm. In many towns, they're the largest employers. So when you're talking about, you know, councils having a 22% cut in your region, those are people <laughs> we're talking about yeah. who lost their jobs, who aren't paying into the local economy uh, because they haven't got that security of work anymore. So... I've got a real fear that the 
current government will make that mistake again. And it's our job to make sure that we hold them to account. And, and also to convince, by the way, not just to be an opposition for opposition's sake and point out the problems, but to point to the need to invest, because it's by investing, by planting that seed that we can grow the economy and make it stronger for the future. Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. And it's, it is the worry, isn't it, that those things that, you know, we've been promised will become would be nice to haves rather than must haves. And they really are must haves if we're going to, you know, create the future for our regions that we want. I mean, you know, in Yorkshire alone, we look towards things like carbon capture technology to make sure the economy can recover. And that's got to be part of it as well. Surely that kind of green revolution. There's a very good chance that the shape of the economy won't be the same in the future as it was before COVID. You know, there could be some very significant structural changes that follow. And by the way, that got a real issue for our high street uh, and the role of retail that was already, of course, very vulnerable with the kind of shift to online, the pressure of business rates uh, and other things as well. And so we do need to think about what a future economy might look like. And I think there's a real opportunity here to not just look at new technology uh, and kind of decarbonisation and the green agenda. Oh, that's a massive opportunity in terms of creating skilled, uh, well-paid jobs. I think we also need to look at our UK supply chain. Just look at how mm-hmm. we import from other countries to support our own supply chain in manufacturing and engineering. When actually kind of repatriating some of that would create jobs in itself. You know, uh, mm-hmm. foundation industries like the steel industry to make sure that we yeah. can uh, kind of self-serve uh, those foundation industries to support manufacturing and engineering, I think is really important as well. I'm glad you mentioned steel because that was actually mentioned in the um, comments the other day when it was... Uh, talking about HS2 and saying, can we kind of be, I can't remember who said it now, but can we guarantee that kind of UK steel is going to be used in, in building it? And um, the PM did say that that was his, his preference, but um, one of your roles, I suppose, will be making sure that that, that that does happen. It should be a bare minimum. I mean, let's be honest, part of the rationale for, uh, for the people who were banging the drum to come out of the European Union, were saying that will allow us to make our own decisions about how we trade, where we buy goods from, about the uh, the weight of the European Union. It's not an argument that I support it, I should say. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but we will hold them to account for that. You know, if, if as a UK government, you are not supporting actively UK industry at a time when we've got a recession and possibly a depression uh, on our way, then people are just not going to put up with it. People expect us to put the national in, uh, interest first. Uh, and by the way, that's not just about making sure that contracts can be given, although I think that's uh, important. It's also about making sure that we don't just allow for a lack of action for our important industries to go to the wall. And I think there's been far too much of the government standing by and thinking that the market will ultimately determine the future of that industry, when actually every economy needs certain foundation industries to be in place to be able to function. And the fact the government think that that can just be left to market forces, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, no, quite. I suppose the only other thing that I was going to ask you is if people are, you know, they're weighing up what party who they think is going to do best for them if they're looking to you know like we've been talking about getting better results and better outcomes for our regions and north and things like that why would you say that you guys are going to be pushing for this what is what is Labour's kind of core message to those who are concerned about what's going to happen next for our regions but Labour's really clear that our response won't be to present people with a shopping list of things that will be done to them but actually, we recognise that every area needs a different intervention. And so the idea is that we're getting around the country, we're speaking to people, and we're talking to them about what matters in their community. Now, there'll be some common themes that come through that. We know uh, that the vast majority of our country is concerned about the future of the high street. 
Uh, and so you can expect some very firm action uh, on that in terms of how the high street will be in the future, about the role of the post office, about how important banks are, about how we can rethink what town centres are in terms of destination places for leisure, entertainment, socialising, hub of the community in the way that they always were. But they need investment and support. Uh, you can expect that we understand the importance of community facilities. Of course, I mean the Shore Star Centre, I mean the library and the youth centres, many of which have been lost after 10 years of cuts. But I also mean the community pub, you know, the place where you go to socialise, to feel part of a connected community, uh, I think is really mm -hmm. important. And so, you know, through the conversations, there'll be some common themes uh, that come out. But I think fundamentally, I hope that people just know that we get it. We know that people want more to life than just feeling as though they're just about getting by. That people want a quality of life. People want to know that there's a purpose to life. People want us to know that we, we, that we understand the importance of work. Uh, not just in terms of being able to put food on the table, but how important it is to our identities, how important it is to our sense of pride and purpose uh, as well. But actually, to do that, it's got to be uh, meaningful work that is rewarding and means that you can live a decent life for yourself and your family. And so I think rethinking the world of work, rethinking uh, how much power you have in the workplace, but it's going to have to be part, part of that as well. Well, we'll be keeping a close eye on it and seeing uh, seeing how you do. And I'm sure asking you more questions as the as the weeks and months go on. Thanks so much for coming on, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I've been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent. You can find us every fortnight, whether that's on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. I'd really love it if you could leave us a review and um, so tell your friends, maybe even subscribe, because it really helps us in the charts and we really want more people to be able to hear us. We will speak to you again in a fortnight. Making a difference in the world, living more sustainably and driving better business practices. It's the change we all want to see. Imagine combining that with a free, fully funded master's degree and a generous tax-free bursary. Board Bia Talent Academy is giving you an opportunity that could change the course of your career. In partnership with UCD Michael Smurfit Graduate Business School, we're now enrolling for two programs. The Origin Green Ambassador Programme, focus on sustainability, and the Supply Chain and Procurement Programme, focus on commercial food and drink buying. Applications close on May 14th. For more details, visit boardbia.ie slash talentacademy.